You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN. I'll tell you who's dancing, and that's Giants and Jets fans, and, uh, and you should be based on how this draft uh, panned out. Anita Marks with you for the next three and a half hours leading into NBA game number one, the Bucks and the Celtics. We'll dive into that as well. Uh, got a jam-packed show, really excited about it. Jim Nagy, who oversees the Senior Bowl, uh, is going to join us in about uh, 25 minutes to break down not just the Giants, the Jets, but the draft in general. Uh, Brendan Brown, uh, part of the Knicks radio team, is going to be joining us at 10 o'clock. We'll talk some NBA. Two games today, the Bucks and Celtics tip off at 1 o'clock. You'll be able to listen to that right here on 98.7 ESPN. And at 3.30, you've got the Golden State Warriors in the Grizzlies. Uh, some really great series that uh, that are going to be taking place in round two. The 76ers against Miami. Unfortunate what's going on with Joel Embiid. Uh, the fact that he's not going to be playing because of an, an eye injury now. So the thumb, the eye. Can it get any worse? I, I don't think so. And then uh, Dallas and Phoenix as well. Um, so we'll, we'll do a deep dive into the NBA second round of the playoffs. Uh, David Wells, former uh, former Yankee, is going to be joining us at 11 o'clock. We'll talk some baseball with him. And um, and we'll take your calls throughout. I would imagine uh, a number of people want to chime in on on what's happened uh, the last few days with with the draft and how well the Giants and the Jets did. So uh, so let's let's break it down first and foremost. Okay, uh, the Giants, as we know, with Dave Gettleman, with the trade with Justin Fields, uh, what did they get? They got the seventh pick. So if you want to look at j- just kind of equate how that all panned out. So the, the Chicago bears gets Justin Fields and the giants get Kadarius Tony who might be on the move. Not sure. I, I think the giants drafting Robinson, a five, eight slot receiver could be very telling in regard to the possibility that Kadarius Tony could still be traded. And of course, uh, Neil, the offensive lineman from Bama. So that's how that trade worked out and of course number five overall was Thibodeau uh who averaged five sacks um a season in in his collegiate career and it was a really big surprise to me that that a a few things number one that, that Thibodeau was there at five and number two that the Giants took him at five um so how did the draft end up Trayvon Walker went number one overall. There was a lot of talk and speculation, of course, the week leading into the draft that that was going to happen. Hutchinson went two. That's a no-brainer. A lot of people felt that he should have gone first, but uh, Walker, his pro day and his uh, his metrics, his stats based on his size and his speed uh, were absolutely tremendous, and, and teams and general managers fell madly in love with him. So, that's why he went number one overall to Jacksonville. Hutchinson goes number two to Detroit. I was I was hearing as well as Matt Miller, if you did watch ESPN, uh, that the Texans were getting Stingley. And sure enough, that's who they went with. And then the Jets sitting there at four, they took Sauce Gardner, which not a surprise there. Something that I was hearing uh, about two or three days prior to the draft. Of course, if you listen to... Uh, Rich Samini on our uh, our draft preview podcast that that was on our new app. Hopefully you listened to that before the draft. He was talking about Sauce Gardner. From what I from what I understand, both the Giants and the Jets were high on Gardner. I spoke to a few scouts who feel that his size he's tall. He's six three center uh, uh, corner in uh, in the NFL. That his, his hip and his ability to open and move uh, not that great, but 
you can't deny what you see on tape and, um, and, and, and a number of defensive coordinators fell in love with him. And so did Robert Sala. Why a lot, a big comparison to, uh, to a number of players who, uh, um, and, and why am I drawing a blank? Uh, Richards, uh, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank right now. Uh, who, uh, who Sala coached in, uh, with the 49ers. So, a lot of comparison to the players that Salah does like to have in his defense. So no surprise that the uh, Jets took uh, Sauce Gardner at four. So now the Giants are sitting there and going, are you kidding me? We have all three offensive linemen still on the board and arguably the second or third best defensive lineman. Giants were in a phenomenal situation. And I think that's why they took Thibodeau. Again, there were some reports that both the Giants and the Jets were a little apprehensive to take Thibodeau to bring him to New York because of the quote unquote immaturity level. How would he bode, would he bode well here in New York, uh, in this city, along with of course the New York media, that's pretty rough sometimes, but uh, I guess his talents and his ability, uh, far exceed, uh, those concerns. Obviously the giants taking him at five. So they get that pass rusher that they desperately needed and then now, as we know, Carolina's on the board. What are they going to do? Uh, they take, in my opinion, the best offensive lineman that was there, and that was Iquanu, although there were some reports that they were looking at Cross, that Cross was their number one offensive lineman. Same with the Giants. We had Jordan Renan on our podcast, and Jordan was hearing the same thing. I was hearing that the Giants were high on Cross. So I thought when the so a few things. Number one, I thought Cross was going to go to the Carolina Panthers, but maybe all all in all, on their big board, they had Iquanu as their best offensive lineman. They probably didn't think Iquanu would be available at six. Let's be honest. Um, and then, of course, now the Giants are sitting there at seven, and there was a lot of reports that the Giants were looking to trade that that number seven pick, uh, but it was going to be hard to find a partner because so many so many teams and so many, so many general managers were saying that they wanted out of the first round because the value in this draft was rounds two, three, and four. But... You know, how can you go wrong with either Evan Neal or, uh, or Cross? Now, again, I was being told that Cross was their offensive lineman of choice, but that's not who they went with. They went with Neal. So, um, so, so, much, so much for what we knew. So now the Giants are sitting there with Thibodeau and Neal. They get their offensive lineman to play that right tackle opposite uh, Andrew Thomas. So now you've got your book and tackles for Daniel Jones to see how he's going to do this season or and, and whatever quarterback that might come in the future. We'll see. And then so now the Atlanta Falcons are on the clock at eight. I thought for sure that they would take Garrett Wilson. I feel Garrett Wilson's the best wide receiver in this draft, but that's not what they did. They took Drake London. Uh, full transparency, I lost a lot of money there because I thought Garrett Wilson was be, would be the number one wide receiver taken. I felt that he was the best wide receiver in this draft. There were a number of scouts who felt the same way. But sometimes teams, offensive coordinators, head coaches, they fall in love with a player. They look at a player's skill set and says, you know, that player better suits my offense. And, and, and that could be a big reason why uh, Atlanta went, went with Drake London. Not that he's a bad wide receiver. I just feel that Garrett Wilson, what I love about Garrett Wilson is that he's the kind of wide receiver that you can put at the X, the Y, the Z, you put him anywhere. He can play anywhere. So he creates such great mismatches and, and that's an offensive coordinator's dream. So, uh, so now Garrett Wilson is still on the board and now you get to the Seattle Seahawks, which some talk and speculation that, uh, that they would trade DK Metcalf. So now I'm thinking, wow, uh, 
Garrett Wilson is still on the board. Seattle, wow, they've got to take him. No, they go with Cross. I don't think they were expecting Cross to still be on the board. Now, Cross, a lot of people felt that he was the best tackle in this draft coming in, and Seattle very well could put him at left tackle, and he could be their starting left tackle for the next decade. And then the Jets are sitting there at 10, and they have the opportunity to get the best wide receiver in the draft for Zach Wilson. Held to the yeah, and that's sure enough what they did. I love it. It's probably my favorite pick, the fact that Garrett Wilson lasted to 10, lasted to 10, and the Jets were able to get him is just huge. Uh, the Saints then went with uh, Alave, which uh, I'm not a big fan. Uh, he's only got a 32 uh, vertical and, uh, and is not very fast. Uh, Jamison Williams went to the Detroit Lions. So wide now a run on wide receivers. At at 13, the Eagles take Jordan Davis. A number of scouts fell in love with this 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 guy, feeling that he was the best player in this draft. But he's a nose tackle, so therefore you know you're not going to take him above in, in in the top 10. But man, he's a beast. And now the Eagles get to line him on that defensive line next to Fletcher Cox. That's going to be ridiculous. Hamilton goes to the Ravens. Ravens killed it this draft like they do each and every year. They're just uh, they're they're just so good when it comes to scouting players and drafting. Kenyon Green went to the Texans. Dotson went to Washington. Zion Johnson went to the Chargers. Uh, best slot wide receiver in the draft went to Tennessee, and of course they traded AJ Brown to the Eagles. Eagles had a monster draft. Penning offensive lineman goes to the Saints. Kenny Pickett, big surprise, first quarterback taken by the Steelers. McDuffie, cornerback, goes to Kansas City. Quay Walker, a lot of teams love that linebacker. Um, Elam was getting a lot of love. Tyler Smith, uh, gritty, nasty offensive lineman, goes to the Cowboys. Linderbaum, center goes to the Ravens. And then the Jets they trade back in for Jermaine Johnson, defensive lineman from FSU. How did he last in the draft at 26? Are you kidding me? So um, I, I, lo- I love what the Jets did. Again, question marks on Sauce Gardner. I'm excited to get Jim Nagy on to get his take, his thoughts on Gardner. Uh, but I love, love the fact that they got Garrett Wilson. Again, to me, number one wide receiver comparison to Justin Jefferson with the Minnesota Vikings. I love the move, the value of trading back up and getting into the 26th pick to get Jermaine Johnson. I thought it was a great move by Joe D. So, and with the Giants, can you go wrong with uh, Thibodeau and Neal? I don't think you can. We've got some calls. Uh, let's get to it. Let's go to Shockey and suffering. Shockey, you're up. Anita, I think I have a terrible connection, no? You you think what? I got a bad connection, no? No, we we hear you. What you got? I just wanted to tell you that we do live studio on Yeah, I guess I guess we do. I guess we do have a terrible connection. So do do us a favor, Shaki, if you can, uh, when, when you get to a landline, uh, please give us a call back. We would love to hear from you. Uh, let's go to Scott in uh, in Dix Hills. Scott, welcome in. I'm probably in the minority, but uh, I thought uh, the whole idea was to get some linemen to protect uh, Zach Wilson and create some holes for the running back. But I don't see where we did any of that. 
Um, you know, I, I think, I, I think what this says, Scott is, is that this is a Jets team that is, uh, is, is all in on Fant and, uh, and Becton, which is, and thank you for the phone call, Scott, appreciate it, which is a little surprising because uh, I have had Rich Samini on the show. And of course, again, I keep on, uh, you know, uh, pubbing our, uh, our, our draft preview podcast. Cause we're really excited about our new app here on 98.70 SPN and, uh, and you know, Becton has not been here to New York. There's some talk and speculation concerns about his weight, his work ethic. Uh, and, and, you know, are the jets buying in that he's going to have a better season this coming year? Well, he better because you're right. You know, the jets went cornerback wide receiver, um, defensive line and brought in another really, uh, exciting running back in, in hall, uh, who could be huge in the passing game. Now you got a one, two punch with him and, and in uh, Carter, which is going to be exciting. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, what, what this says to me is that they are all in in regard to the linemen that they do have. Let's go to Andre. Andre, welcome in. How you doing, Anita? Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, you know, I, I like the Giants draft. The Jets did excellent. I just think, um, I just wonder if the Giants dropped the ball on getting the Kobe Dean because this guy becomes an all-pro for the Eagles. That's going to suck. Um, and and Andre it's 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 a fair it's a fair concern to have appreciate the call we we really won't know for the next three years Uh, you know that and and we can sit here and you know we look at the tape I I talked to a number of scouts we all you know we create these opinions and but we really don't know when a player makes the jump from college to the pros how does it translate uh, the game is faster. You're, you're, you're talking about the best athletes in the world at this sport now, as opposed to college where, you know, a number of these guys are playing with sub subpar comp, but when their college careers are over, uh, they become attorneys, doctors, whatever the case may be. So, um, but we will know in the next three years, that's for sure. Like I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm re- I want to see how, you know, London in the next three years, you know, what's London's career compared to Wilson. I think it was a huge miss for the Atlanta Falcons to not draft Wilson. I, I, I just, I, I think Wilson is just an ex, ex, an exceptional talent, not just because he's got such a big catch radius. He was so smooth. He runs great routes, but just the ability that he can play. You know, not every wide receiver can play every, every position. And what I mean by that is the X, the Y, and the Z. The thing about Wilson is you could put him anywhere. You can create mismatches for him against opposing DBs, which is huge. Um, hang tight. Uh, again, we're going to have uh, Jim Nagy join us next. Uh, he oversees the Senior Bowl. He's more in the know about these players than anyone, to be quite frank. So excited to get him on. We'll get his take on the Giants, his take on the Jets, and we will continue with your calls. We're going to be talking NFL and this draft with both the Jets and the Giants, the majority of the show. So hang tight. I promise I am going to get to you. Anita Marks with you on this sat- Sunday morning here on 98.7 ESPN. Oversees the Senior Bowl, uh, one of the nicest dudes. Love being in a green room with him and has his finger on the pulse of a number of these college players better than most. Jim, thank you so much for spending some time with us on this Sunday morning. Really appreciate you. How you doing? Um, great, Anita. Good to be back on with you. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, let's keep it local first and foremost. Uh, we were just talking about the Jets. I, I took a few calls. Um, Gardner, Sauce Gardner at, at four. Uh, Garrett Wilson, can't believe he was still on the board and Atlanta passed up on him, but uh, God bless. The Jets got him at 10. 
Uh, Jermaine Johnson, I don't know why he fell, but the Jets traded back in, got him at 26. Like the pick with uh, Hall, running back, huge in, in the passing game, one-two punch in the backfield for the Jets with him and, uh, and Carter. Your thoughts, if you were to give the Jets a grade, what would it be and why? <laughs> You're catching me. I was just about to post something on Twitter. I, I don't know what more Joe Douglas could have done in this draft, quite honestly. Um, you know, I think the first couple rounds, everyone knows those players, but you look at what he did in rounds three and four. Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State uh, came down here to Mobile for the Senior Bowl with a with a foot injury, a pre-existing foot injury, and then um, made it worse while he was down here and really couldn't do anything the rest of the process. Was in a boot at Pro Day, no combine. Um, so getting him in the third, I really thought that, uh, you know, Jeremy had a good chance to go in the second. Um, he's really, you know, might have been the best combo tight end in this draft in terms of being able to play at the line of scrimmage and then and then also do things in the pass game. And that's where – you know, Jeremy got hurt really after the first day here in Mobile. I, I really thought he would have caught a ton of balls down here and really helped his case because there wasn't enough balls to go around in Columbus. So um, great pick there. Following it up in the fourth round with Max Mitchell from Louisiana. At minimum, at minimum, a very good swing tackle um, that can play both spots. He did that within the same game at Louisiana. Could flop both sides. Um, you know, I think he's going to end up being a starter at right tackle, at least a starter-level player. Um, but if you get a swing tackle in the fourth round, that's a great pick. And then Michael Clemens was a guy that was coming to Mobile as well um, and got sick literally the night before uh, he was supposed to come into town, so he had to, he had to stay put in Texas. But, uh, you know, he's got some of the longest arms in the draft, like over 35-inch arms, um, just a relentless, relentless football player, has played great, his best football against Alabama the past two years. Um, you know, they almost couldn't block the guy the past couple of years against the Crimson Tide. So um, he will be in the pass rush rotation next year. I mean, this guy is a kind of a combative, long-armed guy that's hard to block, and he, and he just keeps coming. You know, he's a little straight line, line as an athlete. But they got, they got three really good players in the third and fourth round as well. So Joe, Joe D nailed it. Uh, love it. Love it. And, and I'm sure Jets fans listening right now love it as well. Let's turn our attention to what's going on with the Giants. And, um, I mean, could, could, could the draft not have unfolded even better for them? The fact that they were sitting there at five and all three offensive linemen were still on the board, so they knew that they were going to get two of the three following what Carolina was going to do at six, considering that they had the five and the seven. But let's start with, with Thibodeau. You know, a lot of negativity as we got closer to the draft. And also, uh, you know, Jim, I, w- I was hearing that uh, there was some concern about bringing him here to New York because of his immaturity level, quote unquote. Your thoughts on Thibodeau and your, your thoughts on, on the Giants drafting him at five? Yeah, you know, Anita, this is an interesting dynamic that kind of plays itself out every year with some prospects. Um you know, with Thibodeau, he is a good player. I just think, you know, in the media, we were suiting this kid up for a gold jacket last summer, right? I mean, he was the presumptive number one overall pick, and, I mean, you might as well put him in Canton already. Um, so, you know, when it got down to the NFL evaluators and their their evaluation starting to leak out into the media, then, you know, some of the media started to roll it back a little bit. So uh, I don't think it was so much negativity. I don't think he fell to number five. I think that's kind of – um, you know, where the league's at him. I, I think at minimum he's going to be a good pass rusher. Um, I think there are some concerns against the run. I mean, he's not a real big guy at 248, 250 pounds. Uh, I know just talking to some teams, they were afraid if they drafted him, you know, would teams just run at the guy. Um, but he, he does have – it's widely – this isn't news, <laughs> anything newsworthy, but he does – he has a great get-off. I mean, you got – you could make the – Casey had the best get-off in the draft. 
Um, you know, and then the fit in New York, we'll have to see. I'm sure, I'm sure Joe Shane and, and those guys did their homework and spent a lot of time with him during the process and, and felt good about it. So, so we'll see. Like all these guys, it remains to be seen. But, um, you know, they've needed pass rush help there in New York for a while now, and, and Thibodeau should, should bring them that. And then, of course, like I said, uh, you've got uh, the Carolina Panthers. They took Iquanu at six. I felt Iquanu was the best offensive lineman in this draft. There was also some talk and speculation that the Giants really loved Cross, but now it's them. They're on the clock at seven, and they took Neil over, over Cross. What, what, what's your thought in regard to the offensive linemen that were drafted? Yeah, I think the pick made sense. I'm with you. I thought uh, Icky from NC State was the best one in the group. Um, but when you've got Andrew Thomas there at left tackle um, and you want to, you want to keep him there because it looks like he's getting comfortable. Uh, Evan Neal has played on the right side. He's been a right side player, whereas Charles Cross is really truly a, a left tackle only uh, could probably go to the right side, but you know, he's more of a pass protecting left tackle. And, and that's, you know, that's what Seattle needed. So uh, good pick for them. But uh, you know, with, with Evan Neal, again, he's played guard, he's played tackle. He gives them a little more flexibility. He's been a right side player. Uh, so now I think you plug him in and you've, you've got your bookends moving forward. So really good pick by Joe Shane. Uh, and, and looking at some of the other, the other players that, uh, that Shane drafted, a lot of people feel that Robinson uh, was a reach, 5'8 slot wide receiver. There's some talk and speculation that Kadarius Toney uh, is on the, uh, the trade market. Uh, your thoughts on, on the rest of the draft that, uh, that the Giants uh, filled their board with? Well, you can never have enough playmakers. And, you know, the Giants, if you just look at look at – where they've been the last few years at the skill positions, they've, they haven't been durable. Um, they've got, they've had a lot of talented guys there. They just haven't been able to stay on the field. So maybe they just want to address the depth there. Yeah. I mean, this guy's not Kadarius Tony by any stretch, but um, similar, similar guy in terms of his, his, what he can do, kind of what his role would be. Um, KT is just different, man. If that, yeah, I was talking to his high school coach down here in Mobile this week, like about him getting his head on straight. Cause I mean, that guy should, he should retire with a hundred million dollars in the bank and multiple pro bowls. So I, I hope that that's going in the right direction. Um, yeah. I, I look at this draft. They, they drafted a lot of really solid football players. They're going to come in. I don't know if there's a guy that I don't see making that football team. Um, even down to Darian Beavers, the last pick, I thought Darian Beavers, you know, would probably go in the fourth round. So to get him in the sixth, the versatile linebacker that, you know, has started his career as a safety, uh, has played off the ball, has played on the line of scrimmage, has some pass rush, did a nice job in coverage of the senior bowl. That's a good pick. So, um, you know, and I really like Daniel Bellinger, the tight end from, from the Giants. I think, you know, a lot of teams had him as the second or third uh, best tight end in the, in the class, in a really deep tight end class. So, um, yeah, I think the Giants did really nice work yesterday on day three. So both the Giants and the Jets get two thumbs up from uh, from Jim Nagy, who's joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. All right, looking big picture, and, and, and before we start talking about some other teams, uh, again, just out of curiosity, why do you feel Jermaine Johnson dropped? I uh, love the fact that the Jets got him at 26, but uh, why do you think, you know, a lot of people had him going in the top 15, Jim? Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Um, that'll, that'll come out. I mean, I'm going to start calling around. Now that, now that the draft's behind these guys, I'll probably – uh, just give my friends around the league a week just to decompress and, and uh, get back with their families. But I, I do – I always follow up on our senior bowl guys and, and, and see why they may have may have dropped. And, again, I, I don't know if he was ever going to go in the top ten. Again, that's, that was just – that was out there in the media. But, um, you know, he, the tape is really good, and that's what you got to keep going back to. The guy was a high-impact player in his one year there at Florida State, ACC, you know, defensive player of the year. And, and to me – um, you're getting a, a slam dunk three down player. Like I made the comment about Thibodeau on first and second down, you know, uh, on base downs, but 
but Jermaine is a stout point of attack, violent run player, um, plays his tail off, can beat you in multiple ways as a pass rusher. So, um, I, I mean, Joe, Joe Douglas using his draft capital and moving back up into the first and get Jermaine. Um, and now you got a guy that probably thought he was going in the top 10. Uh, and he's now he's got a chip on his shoulder. Like those are always dangerous guys. If I'm the Jets, I'm loving that situation that, that Jermaine's going to come in and feeling like he has something to prove. Walker Hutchinson, Stingley, no surprise there. There was talk and speculation that, um, that uh, Robert Sala loved Sauce Gardner because he reminds him of Richard Sherman. But I spoke to a few scouts that have some concerns in regard to his size and his hips and, and how he opens um, a little bit too slow for, uh, for a few scouts. And any concern with Sauce Gardner? Your, your thoughts on him going at four? No, not, not, not in that vein. Um, I scouted Richard when he was coming out of Stanford and sauce Gardner has better hips than Richard does. So I don't, <laughs> I don't see that. I don't see that concern at all. He's, you know, to me, I thought he was the best corner in the draft. Stingley going above him was a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, I was at Stingley's pro day. He had a really nice workout. He did what he could do on that day to kind of salvage what has been a pretty disappointing last couple of years for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sauce Gardner, the combination of length and springiness as an athlete, Really, the only reservation to me for Sauce would be like just didn't play a a, a really high level of comp in, in the AAC in terms of NFL receivers. Like the guy didn't go up week in and week out um, against future NFL guys, and that's there's nothing he could help. Um, but to me, that would be the only reservation with Sauce Gardner in terms of you're trying to check all the boxes. Love, love uh, I'm with Sala in terms of like how this guy carries himself. You know, was with Richard for five years when I was with the Seahawks and. Um, you want corners wired like that. And um, I, I really like how sauce is wired. Um, Drake London going at eight. That was a surprise for me. I do feel that Garrett Wilson is the best wide receiver in this draft just because of the mismatches you can create with him because he can play all over the field. Agree or disagree? Do you think Drake London going eight to Atlanta was the right pick? Um, I thought Jamison Williams was the best receiver in the draft. Mm-hmm. And for me, it wasn't close. It wasn't close for me. Um, I think he's truly different than the rest of the group. I think he's the one guy in the, in the, in the uh, class that has a chance to be special. Um, you know, for a guy that tall and angular, those guys are usually speed builders on the outside. This guy, he has an immediate gear. Uh, saw him play twice live this fall against Miami and Tennessee, and he's just his speed's different. Um, you know, I had a GM ask me recently who he reminded me of, and Again, taking take this is just one part of it. I'm not saying he's this player, uh, but JMO, in terms of gear change and instant instant explosion for a guy with that body type, is to me is like Randy Moss. Now, what made what made Randy a different player was his ball tracking ability and his and his high point ability was off the charts. Um, but in terms of just the gear change, accelerate, decelerate, uh, Jameson Williams. It has the chance to be, you know, like I said, a special player. But, yeah, I thought Garrett Wilson was number two for me. Um, you know, guy that plays bigger. I was actually surprised to, to see where his measurables came out at, 5'11 and change, you know, 183 pounds, whatever it was. I mean, the guy plays bigger than that. And to me, if you're drafting one up high, they got to be playmakers. Um, and to me, it's it, 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 where the league's at right now. they got to be able to do something with the ball in their hands, and, and that's, and that's Garrett Wilson. Um, so to me, that was another really good pick by Joe D there with the Jets. 
At 13, the Eagles took uh, Jordan Davis, uh, spoke to a few scouts, and some of them told me that he is a quote-unquote uncommon human and was their favorite player in this draft. Now the Eagles get to align him next to Fletcher Cox. Oh, my goodness gracious. I love the Eagles drafting him at 13. Your thoughts? Yeah, I thought the Eagles really nailed their entire draft when you had A.J. Brown in there, uh, mm-hmm. really giving up a third, third-round pick to get A.J. Brown. I mean, if you put A.J. Brown in this draft um, – you know he's probably the he's probably the best one. Again, I think probably Jamison Williams might have a little higher ceiling than than where AJ's been at. But to me, AJ Brown would would have been um, clearly the, the second best receiver in this draft. So yeah, Howie Roseman did a really did a really nice job over the last three days. Jordan Davis is like you said, the guys you talked to, a rare human being. I mean, this guy's a mountain. I've been around the NFL for 25 years. The only guy I've been around who's a bigger man is uh, Ted Washington. If you remember the old nose tackle from. Louisville off with him with the Patriots. Um, Jordan is just a – he is a massive dude. And in to run four seven nine, the big knock is that he, you know, hasn't rushed the passer. To me, that's just a byproduct of Georgia having so many guys. They need to get guys on the field. Um, in an era where the portal is what it is, got to keep guys happy. So they were, they were, you know, waving at a bunch of younger guys on, on sub-down. So um, if you can't get a 340-pound human being that runs sub-4-8, um, to the quarterback, it's, it's, something's wrong. So I, I think he's going to be fine. That's, that was the knock that he doesn't rush the passer. Um, to me, he's got, he's got Pro Bowl ability, and, and I think he could get there pretty quickly in his career. Kansas City, a team each and every year. Many feel is going to win a Super Bowl, and boy, did they do in the first round, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Trent McDuffie, a lot of people felt that he was the best, one of the best corners in this draft. Definitely top five, and Karloftis as well to put him on the line. Your thoughts on Kansas City? They just got a lot better defensively in the first round alone. Yeah, to me, Trent fits in the slot. Uh, to me, he's more of a nickel. I do have size concerns on the outside, um, but a high-end athlete. This is a really fun guy to watch move around and trigger. Uh, love his play style. Um, those Washington DBs uh, over the last five years, like even going back to last year's draft, Elijah Molden, um, who went to the Titans and, and really was affected. His draft stock was affected by his injury. was one of my favorite guys. But you know, Trent, I think, has got a chance to be one of the best nickels in the league if they play him there inside. Outside, I do have some concerns about his length, <clears throat> excuse me, and ability to hold up against bigger people out there. But really like the athlete. George Karloftis is a, you know, a high-motor guy, um, has been productive. Again, not a, not a wow-you athlete. Uh, have some concerns about the length there as well, um, but can play off other people. You can you can stun them and move them, um, and you can get to the quarterback. And really, my favorite, my two favorite picks for the Chiefs were Brian Cook. They took a safety in the second round, uh, number you know 30th pick in the second round out of Cincinnati. Didn't have a draft process because of an injury. Was going to come to the Senior Bowl and, and had to get two shoulders repaired after the uh, college football playoff. But Brian Cook's going to be a really good starting level player for the Chiefs. And then Joshua Williams in the fourth round, uh, the first HBCU player taken, big 6'2 corner from Fayetteville State. Um, to me, he, you guys are familiar with him out in New York. James Bradbury uh, had, had a lot of really good years there with the Giants. I think that Josh Williams is a better player coming out than Bradbury when he came out of Sanford. Uh, two final questions for you before I let you go. Um, and, and the Patriots and Bill Belichick getting destroyed for taking Cole Strange. But this was a player that a lot of scouts loved. I just, I was not expecting him to go in the first. Listen, you fall in love with the player. That's your guy. You get him. Who cares? I'm sure Bill Belichick can care less what everybody thinks. But your thoughts on uh, on, on him taking Cole Strange at 29? 
love Cole Strange, mm-hmm. one of my favorite players in the draft, one of the guys I was most convicted on. Um, had him down at the Senior Bowl, you know, really invited him to the game just based off his Kentucky tape. You know, they're playing in the SoCon at the FCS level, so you don't get him to see, see him play a lot of people. Um, and Kentucky had, you know, two or three NFL defensive linemen. He just wore those guys out. Came into Mobile, uh, had only played center in one college game, played center all week. Uh, I think he's going to be a Pro Bowl-level center when James Andrews leaves. I think they'll plug him in at guard this year, and he'll be a high-end guard. This is one of those picks that the fans, I, I get it, like they hadn't heard of a guy from Tennessee, Chattanooga, um, you know, but in two or three years from now, they're going to realize what a good pick this was. And, and again, it wasn't much of a reach. He was not going to get out of the second round. Uh, there was way too many teams that had him graded in the second round. So mm-hmm. if you're sitting there late in the first at, at pick 29, um, to me, that's a good pick. Last but not least, I loved Sam Howe. Right. Like I was on ESPN. I was out in Vegas. I was talking about him. I thought for sure he'd be the second quarterback taken. Um, I just, you know, I I think I look at him. I see a lot of Russell Wilson. I know he's short, uh, loved his long ball accuracy, tough as nails, rushed for almost a thousand yards, 11 touchdowns because both his uh, running backs were drafted last year out of UNC. Uh, heard nothing but outstanding things about this young man. Uh, you know, yes, sir, how high. Coaches love him. Why did he fall so, so, so much? I mean, he didn't go until the fourth round, Jim. Uh, yeah, no, that was that was a head-scratcher too, Nita. I'm with you. I like Sam Howell a lot. Um, you know, he was another senior bowl guy for us. I, and you talked about um, the drop-off in talent this year. Yeah, you lose two NFL starting running backs. You lose two NFL receivers and had to do a lot on his own and, frankly, didn't get a lot of help up front as well. So uh, really had to do a lot on his own. Like you said, he ran it a bunch this year, which was a good thing. Really got you know allowed Sam to showcase his athletic ability. But a tough kid, a gritty kid, he, he's been through a lot in his life. Um, you know, this, this, this dude's been through adversity, so this isn't going to shake him. I do think that the teams that kept going back to the to the sophomore tape in 2020, um, there's so much good stuff there. I I'll say this: um, I was at I was at the the Miami Alabama game in Atlanta, the kickoff, the Chick Fil A kickoff game this year, and a couple nights before it was Virginia Tech UNC in the opener. Um, you know, and Sam didn't play great. The team didn't play great. And talking to scouts in the press box that day, they're like, man, I don't care. Like, that kid's running around for his life right now. Like, just go back to last summer's tape. And I think, I think that's probably where Washington ended. How he made it through multiple rounds of the draft with all 32 teams passing um, was a bit of a head-scratcher. But I'm happy for Sam that he ended up in a situation. Uh, we don't know how long Carson Wentz is going to be in Washington. Uh, you know, that might be a situation where, where he could eventually, two, three years down the road, he could be their quarterback. But right now we have Brendan Brown who's joining us. He is the voice uh, for the Knicks radio on uh, on MSG, talking all things NBA with us. Uh, so, Brendan, welcome in. How you doing? Anita, congratulations on yet another NFL draft for you, a big weekend, and kudos for you to host the show this morning. Yeah, uh, man, I, I just I, I got back from Vegas. I flew back in on the red eye. Got back in on on Saturday. It's 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 also it's my birthday weekend. So a lot going on here. I appreciate you joining <laughs> me and and helping help help me carry the show today, uh, Brendan. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, I've I've really I've loved uh, this NBA postseason. Uh, part of me is actually sad that the Memphis Timberwolves series is over because I was enjoying that thoroughly. I was hoping that that would go to a game seven. 
But let, let's focus on, on the Bucks and the Celtics right now. I love this Celtics team. I have since the All-Star break. I felt they came in as the best team in the NBA. They're doing it on both sides of the court. Uh, the fact that Robert Williams is back active and attractive again, this is going to be a great series. Tip-off is at 1 o'clock. Break this bad boy down for us. Well, you look at it in the regular season and you can't really tell much. And that's the, the case of a lot of these second-round series, what the teams did. You know, in the regular season, doesn't really matter at this point because of who's there and who's not. So Chris Middleton being out for Milwaukee, okay, that's a big factor. That's a lot of points out of your lineup. But what Milwaukee did against Chicago, where they really dominated the series except for game two, they went big. And by going big with Portis and Antetokounmpo and Lopez on their front line, the advantage that Boston might have had at times against Brooklyn, where they're just the bigger team, they're the more physical defensive team, uh, they're able to help better, they're in the passing lanes. Well, you're not going to get that necessarily against Milwaukee's starting lineup because even their backcourt with Matthews and Holiday has a lot of size. So you're looking at two teams in the starting lineup that are very, very similar. Now, as much as we get excited about what Boston did against Durant and against Irving, and that was phenomenal, good individual defense, good team defense, well-coached, good rotations, et cetera, uh, you're looking at a different sort of a situation here, uh, being that Boston won the four games by a total of 18 points. Uh, can Milwaukee get off threes? The one great thing that Boston did in the Brooklyn series, they limited three-point attempts from the complimentary guys. So Milwaukee's nature is to play a lot of drive and kick with Giannis going down the middle of the floor. And will Boston make all those rotations? But like you say, with Robert Williams back in the rotation, you got a, a really solid nine guys for Boston. Uh, Brown and Tatum will be a lot for Milwaukee to think of. And, you know, let's see what happens. I'm really excited for the series. I've got the Celtics winning that one. And then later on this afternoon, 3.30, the Golden State Warriors going up against the Grizzlies. Uh, Morant and, and the cast of characters and the crew there, they've been terrific, especially leading into the postseason. The Golden State Warriors, top seed turvy season, right? Started off good, then, of course, dealt with some injuries. Draymond Green didn't play for a hot second. And then they picked it up, and, and they are peaking right now, heading into the postseason. Your thoughts on this matchup? Okay, regular season, Memphis 3-1. Okay, so they're familiar with how to play Golden State. Now, granted, Golden State has a little bit of a different lineup, a lineup with a lot more firepower. If you look at the Game 5 victory for Golden State against Denver, and they played the smaller lineup, you know, Green at center, Wiggins, and then the three guards, only one player shot well in that lineup in that game. And it's a game where Golden State had to come back in the fourth, they lost game four. Uh, they could have lost game three in Denver. It was very close. So the excitement that got generated out of games one and two, Golden State playing at home against Denver, once again, you're really excited about this. But if you take a big step back and you look at the film and everything else, it will be interesting to see how this series gets played. Now, Memphis, like you say, Against Minnesota, kind of crazy basketball. Some of it looked really good at times. Some of it was a lot of errors. It comes down to the value of a possession. And Memphis in the first round was number one in pace out of the 16 teams. Can Golden State, or do they wish to, run up and down with Memphis? Golden State was fifth in pace out of 16 teams. 
So you're looking at a situation where what is how, what is Golden State's approach to this? And would they go back big and put Looney back in the starting lineup and potentially put, like, Poole back on the bench? Um, there are a lot of different ways to look at this, but Memphis has had success against them. A big, big factor in this situation is rebounding the basketball. So if Golden State goes to that smaller lineup in the front court, uh, what Memphis could do against them because they're so good on second shots, getting extra possessions, uh, guys like Clark and Jaron Jackson, et cetera, does Adams come back in this series maybe? Um, the rebounding edge could be a very big thing. You know, Anita, you're a big football. Line play is so big. Well, offensive rebounding, defensive rebounding, that can generate a series, and that's where Memphis potentially, outside of all the sexy offensive stuff, could have a big advantage. Uh, again, Brendan Brown joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. Those are the two games tonight, or I should say later on this afternoon, but we also have a series against the 76ers in Miami, and very unfortunate what's going on with Embiid. First, it's a torn ligament in his thumb. Now he's out because of an eye. Siakam uh, socked him, uh, and so now he's out. And then, of course, you've got the Dallas and the Phoenix series. Let's start 76ers in Miami. Who do you like there? Well, it's a tough situation for Philadelphia. You look at what they've got, and what they've got is a very good starting lineup and then very limited you know, contributions from the bench. If you take out Embiid, then it gets really hard. And what Miami did against Atlanta in the first round is they showed very hard in pick and rolls or trapped Trey Young randomly all over the place. Now, that would be a little bit different. Okay, let's say Embiid is out. You know, does Eric Spolstra go after Harden and blitz him? Does he go after Maxi and blitz him um, to cut off the head of the snake? And, and now you have different you know, possibilities for Philadelphia. How are they going to get good shots? How are they going to score? Um, then again, can Embiid potentially maybe play with a mask? I don't know if that's possible. They say he's out indefinitely. Um, that's a big factor to it. Uh, Miami has a great cultural defensive mindset. We have three, Anita, really good defensive teams left. You have Boston, mm-hmm. you have Miami, and you have uh, Dallas in the Western Conference. And, you know, they will go ahead and trap over and over and over again if they feel they have to do that, make all the necessary rotations, be physical in the traps, be physical on the closeouts. And without Embiid, I just see it's going to be really difficult for Philadelphia. Even with Embiid, I see where it's going to be really difficult for Philadelphia because most of their scoring, most of their offense comes out of that starting group. Um, if you're Doc Rivers, how do you do this? No Embiid. Uh, Paul Reed was the backup center at the end of that first-round series. Uh, do you maybe play a lot of zone against Miami and just totally distort the game? Um, it's going to probably take some creativity out of Doc to try to figure out how to hang in these games. And last but not least, Dallas, you, you talk about their defense, uh, which the, definitely their perimeter defense has been outstanding. So could be of an interesting, good matchup uh, with Phoenix, especially with Booker back uh, and, uh, and, and Chris Paul. W- what do you anticipate here? Well, with Phoenix, uh, now that you do have Booker back, now you have an excellent nine-man, ten-man rotation that you had 
you know, the gist of the regular season where Phoenix was hands down all throughout the you know regular season the best team. It wasn't even close. And then it's on both sides of the ball where they're very good. And then the other part to it is you get in clutch games. Uh, go look up their clutch stats. They're like 32-2 and two in those games this year. Something ridiculous. Paul's stats individually are incredible. And then look what he just did in the closeout game. So, you know, one thing or two things did not go well for Phoenix in that New Orleans series. They didn't defend very well. And they also did not rebound the ball very well. And Valentunas had a great effect where he got over five offensive rebounds a game, playing like 25, 28 minutes a game. So that was a little bit different and something that, you know, Willie Green, I'm sorry, Monty Williams and his staff would have to look at, you know, what's going on with the rebounding situation there. But, you know, Dallas is interesting. And Dallas is one of these everyone's buying in type of teams. And they play defensive possessions where they go man-to-man into zone and then back into man-to-man before the shot clock runs out. Um, They are not afraid to play zone. They are not afraid to do a lot of different things. Now, you have major challenges, but the matchups in this series, Anita, are really, really interesting. Um, You'll probably – you could see Crowder or Bridges on Doncic to start. I know that Doncic is probably going to guard Crowder the other way around. And then if you're Dallas, you have Bullock and Finney Smith match up with Paul and with Booker, or how do you flip that around? How does Phoenix guard A, Doncic, and then Brunson in the starting lineup? So the three games in this regular season series kind of don't matter. Doncic didn't play in two of them. The other one was in the middle of the season. The one constant is that all the games are relatively close, like six, seven, eight points. But Chris Paul was great in the fourth quarter. So uh, uh, rather than allowing what New Orleans did and allow Paul to go zigzag, dribble one-on-one and make mid-range jumpers, are you going to see a team just totally go after Chris Paul, trap him, run him ragged in the fourth quarter in the half court? Because Phoenix's three-point shooting is not a major number, and can you force you know, someone else, yes, Booker would be a great candidate there, but people other than him to beat you late in the game. It's it's going to be fun. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm thoroughly enjoying uh, this NBA postseason. And, and I do hope that uh, Embiid, I mean, maybe you're right, Brendan, maybe, you know, that he's able, he's, he's worn a mask before. It's not something that he, he hasn't, he hasn't, you know, he, he's played with a mask before, just not sure how serious of course, this eye socket injury is. We so appreciate your time on this Sunday morning. Thank you so much. Anita, it was great to talk to you. And, yeah, the first round was really exciting. I mean, when you think of all the different series that were good, it's kind of like the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. It was exciting to turn on games on different nights, and hopefully we get the same kind of stuff here in the second round. Did we heard his thoughts on, on the Jets. I think uh, from Mel Kuyper, we had uh, Jim Nagy on not too long ago. Sounds like uh, those that uh, that follow uh, these, these college athletes and uh, analyze this draft uh, give the Jets a, a, a smaller, you know, maybe an A-plus on their draft class where the Giants uh, get an A. Still, listen, you get an A, great. <laughs> And both these teams did really, really well. I want to remind you, we're really excited about our new ESPN app. 
Uh, get all your favorite 98.7 ESPN radio shows in play-by-play streaming live. And you can download it, whether you have an iPhone or a Droid, whatever the case may be. Catch up on what you might have missed with daily recap podcasts from DPHO Rothenberg, The K Show, Greeny, Ian and and more, plus streaming exclusives like Game Conduct, Caught Offsides, Flight Deck, and Breaking Big Blue. It's the all-new ESPN uh, New York app available now on the App Store and Google Play. Your city, your teams, your ESPN New York app. Make sure you download it. 800-919-3776. Let's get to your calls. Let's go to Steve in Rockland. Steve, welcome in. Good morning. Good morning, Anita. Mm-hmm. Now, before mm-hmm. I ask you my question, I just want to say, you know, in the last four four years, there was one general manager who had the best draft picks and did everything right. It was Dave Gettleman. You know how I know? Just ask him. Good riddance <laughs> to you, my friend. Good riddance. Bye-bye. So now, having said that, so how was Vegas, Anita? Did you have a good time? Oh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, Stevie. There you go. Oh, I, you know, I, I hope you got some golf and whatever it was. I, now, so you're sitting there. And now, and I'm not a big watcher of the draft, generally speaking. But you know what? With the the New York teams, so uh, you know, at the top there. Let me let me watch. I could not believe the spectacle that this has turned into. Wow! It used to be like a Wednesday after whatever. All right. So now, I'm sitting there, and the, and the Giants pick, and the Jets have picked, and Jermaine Johnson is on the board, and he's just and he's sitting there. And here come the Titans, and they're announcing. They're, and I'm, I'm sitting. There, I'm like, what, what, what is this? This guy was, put, you know, so, so highly rated. And the Jets jump in. Kudos to the Jets. I'm a Giants fan. Kudos to the Jets. And they pick him. Now, my question for you, and you are, because when it comes to this stuff, Mel Kiper, good for you. I want to hear from the legend. I want to hear from you, legend Anita Marks. I, and I don't because, know about like that. I always say. Your unbridled enthusiasm and knowledge of football is just infectious, and I value it as much as anyone's. So, you're sitting there. The Jets do that. My question is, the Giants had, like, similar, you know, assets to parlay. Why Here, do you here's, think- here's what – and, Steve, I appreciate your, your, your compliments and all that, and I appreciate the call. Thank you. Right. Here, here's what the difference is. Um, the Jets have their quarterback for the future. Right. And, and, and that is Zach Wilson. We'll see what happens. You know, I'm still, I'm still not sold. Um, I, the skill set, I, I see what he has. I see his potential uh, and, and the sky's the limit. Um, and, and this is going to be a crucial year for him. We'll see. But for the Giants, they don't. They don't know what's going on with Daniel Jones. Number one, they don't know if Daniel Jones is their quarterback of the future. You speak to a lot of general managers. You speak to a lot of teams. They feel the Giants need to move on from him. Uh, whether it's it's his skill set and it doesn't equate to the NFL, whether he's you know tr- trying to do you know trying to do too much, uh, not you know not falling down when he needs to, injury history, wh- whatever you know, uh, bad pocket awareness, fumble, fumbles the ball, too many turnovers, all those all those negative things we hear about Daniel Jones. This is this is going to be a crucial year for him. And in, in how the Giants' new regime with Joe Shane and, and Brian Dable, how they evaluate him and what they do moving forward. So the difference is 
if the Giants do decide to move forward, they want to be in a better situation next year when that happens. So, uh, you know, the Jets had, both the Giants and the Jets had a lot of draft capital coming into this draft. There's no denying that. It's just the Giants are trying to parlay it for next year. Next year's draft class in regard to the quarterbacks is going to be sensational. Off the charts, okay? So they want to be in a position that if Daniel Jones doesn't show them what they're looking for this year, or can't stay healthy, whatever, however they're going to grade him, they're going to be in a, a situation where they could pounce next year on a quarterback. The Jets, they're fortunate. They've got their quarterback. They're, you know, so and And they're in a situation right now where, you know, they 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 want to build a team in a unit so that in the next two to three years, uh, they are competing in this division with a lot of guys that are still on their rookie deals, okay? And so they they have the Jets, they have the ability to be aggressive, active and attractive, take that draft capital, parlay it up, get in get back into the first round and and select a guy like Johnson, right? Like, you know, they're, they have the ability to be a lot more aggressive because their window is in a very different situation than what the Giants' window is at right now. You know, this is a Jets team. They want to win in the next three to five years while they have Zach Wilson on his rookie deal. And so, in a, and, and they're in a situation right now where, you know, they're, they're ahead of the Giants in regard to their offensive line. Well, you know, now the Giants are, are catching up. It's going to be great to see what Neil and, and Thomas can do as book and tackles for, for Daniel Jones and or whoever they bring in next year, if that's the road that they go on. So the, Giants, the Jets are, are, are one step ahead already uh, than the Giants in regard to their offensive line, uh, where they sit in regard to their quarterback, and, and now they're in a situation where they, will, they, they, they want to fill uh, the majority of the roster, especially you know the starters, where they're going to have these guys for the next, that's their window for the next five, you know, four or five years where they could possibly, you know, be competitive, get to the postseason, possibly win a Super Bowl with the majority, at least, what, 45, 50% of the guys on the roster, guys that you drafted, let alone uh, your pain on your rookie deal. Therefore, when it comes to free agency, you've got more wiggle room, you've got more space to utilize that salary cap to go out and fine-tune uh, the remainder of your of your roster with some big-time talent. And, and, and that, that, that's the recipe for success. And the Jets are one step ahead. That's why the Jets have the, the, the ability uh, to, uh, to be more aggressive and active in, in trading back into the first round, where, again, the Giants are, are looking to stockpile because you just don't know what you're going to get with Daniel Jones this coming season. And um, if, if, if it's not a good one, they're going to be in a good position next year to pounce and possibly go after one of these great quarterbacks that are coming out. <laughs> This is click, 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 or don't. Very simply, here's the headline. Are you interested in clicking or not? All right, it's click or don't click, a fun way. We take our tour around our wide, wide world of sport. We find out what is trending based on the headlines. And if the headline grabs us, we click it and uh, and we bring you the news. And so we have our producers who lead the way. We've got Will and Tom today. So, gentlemen, what you got? So this one is one of my favorites. Uh, hits close to home for Jet fans. 
Jets draft Ohio State tight end Jeremy Ruckert in the third round. Of course we're going to click that. So Jeremy Ruckert is from Lindenhurst, Long Island, um, and he grew up a, a diehard Jets fan. His dad is a diehard Jets fan. Uh, I was looking back on some of his dad's tweets leading up to the draft and throughout the season. He's deeply invested in Jets football. So the Jets, uh, round one passes, they, they don't take uh, Ruckert, and Ruckert does not go in the first uh, two rounds. So the Jets get to the third round, and at pick 101, they take Lindenhurst from Long Island and Ohio State tight end Jeremy Ruckert with pick number 101. And the videos, the pictures, uh, was pretty surreal to see a kid from the area being a diehard Jets fan going to his childhood team growing up, something you don't see very often. No, and and you know that's got to be so exciting, right? Um, you know, you 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 follow a team your whole life. You grow up in the area. You're a huge fan of that team, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, you get drafted by that organization, man. And so now, you know, you're you're, it's, and and not to take anything away from players that get drafted by teams that they weren't fans of, but you know that heart element, that emotional element, because that player grew up being a fan of that team, you know, you, there's got to be some value there, right? And what's interesting about this whole thing is that he was taken in, in the third round. And obviously tight end is, is extremely important. You know, they're part of the offensive line. They could also be utilized as a wide receiver, kind of like what Rob Gronkowski was once in his prime. But Jeremy Rucker was mostly used at Ohio State as a blocker, as a blocking tight end because of the star power they had at wide receiver. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, the list goes on and on and on. So he really didn't get that many touches, but when he did get the touches, he was very, very good with the football catching-wise. So this seems like a home run for the Jets. It was one of the top 10 ends on the market. But what's, but what's so great about this whole thing, Anita, is if you go on his Instagram page and his girlfriend's Instagram page, the day that he was drafted, he's balancing on his two arms all the NFL hats. Which one is he going to choose? And he got the call first, and his brother, I believe it's his brother or family member, in the video was in the far left corner. He takes off a sweater, and underneath the sweater is a Jets T-shirt. So it, 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 it was just very, very cool. And, and and the dad started crying, doing, and he started the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets chant. So it, it was a feel-good story for a guy that grew up a diehard Jets fan. He stays home. Doesn't have to go very far. Uh, but it, it's safe to say that the Jets got significantly better with Jeremy Ruckert on their team um, in the third round, 101 overall. I, a fellow Long Islander, is going to be rooting so hard for this kid. Um, it's not too often that we see this happen. We actually had one guy from Long Island, uh, Greg Van Roten, play for the Jets last year as well. So uh, Long Island representing the, the the green and white. So I love it. That's such a great story. Uh, what else do you guys got? All right, so next we're going from New York to Texas, possibly, where a pitcher is facing expulsion following Mm -hmm. a brawl on a baseball field. Oh, okay. I'm intrigued. All right, so this happened in the sixth inning of a JUCO game uh, after North Central Texas College's um, Josh Phillips. He hit a home run off of uh, Weatherford College pitcher Owen Woodward, um, and as Phillips was rounding third, Woodward charged off the mound, and he leveled him with a violent blow to the midsection, and that started a crazy brawl, including players and coaches of both teams. Woodward is the player here that could be facing expulsion from his school uh, because uh, he hit the runner who was rounding third base. Oh, wow. Uh, Talk about having a temper. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, yeah, there's many people suspended. I think Woodward got a four-game suspension. The uh, batter actually got a two-game suspension. Uh, Apparently, he was ejected after that for taunting the opposing team, possibly uh, Woodward, uh, for, uh, well, leveling him. Um, (laughs) Wow. Uh, Something we don't see. You know, it's it's, it's interesting. You know, I I know a lot of people do like – you know, when it, when you're watching a Major League Baseball game, uh, when it gets feisty, right? Like uh, charging the mound or, you know, a manager getting, you know, surly coming out of the dugout uh, and, and getting tossed. Those elements uh, definitely make a, a baseball game more entertaining. But never seen that before. I mean, else going off of that, uh, here's something that's crazy. In hockey... You can fight, you can punch somebody, you can make mm-hmm. somebody bleed and go to the box for five minutes and then come back out, do it again, and do the same penalty and come back in the game. However, in baseball, this guy's facing a potential expulsion for doing this. Now, baseball's always had this strict policy where if and, – and, Tom, I don't know. Is this MLB? Is this minor leagues? What league is this? This that... is this is junior college baseball. Okay, yeah. So junior college, I can understand it because in in all sports, college, even in, even in college hockey, you can't fight somebody. So I understand it in college, but it it's funny because even in hockey, in some degree to a college level, you could still be physical with somebody and not face expulsion, not face suspension. It's just part of the game. Yeah, but also, I mean, and, and I understand what you're saying. You know, there are goons, quote unquote, in in hockey, and they're brought in specifically to do that. But also, you've got like you've got a ton of equipment on you. So, right, you but know, if you're your baseball, you're, there's you're, a rule in the NHL where uber it, exposed. If you start a fight in in the NHL and you have a visor on, by rule, you're supposed to remove the visor. Now, not many people do that because I, I for some reason I don't understand why. But you're getting punched in the face by a guy on hockey skates, that's going to hurt. And then if you fall back and hit your head without the helmet on, you may get a concussion. So, yes, they have equipment, but where they're punching each other and falling on their head, there's not much equipment there. Okay, fair point. Fair point. What else is trending, guys? That's all of, That's all we have. It, it, it was kind of like I wanted to look for like the NFL store, which we did, but that whole story with the MLB, uh, uh, with the junior college pitcher facing potential expulsion, I mean – that's a crazy story. What What's the latest with with Bauer and... Uh, oh, he and, got a two-year suspension, by the way. Yeah, 324 games uh, during because and of the allegations. His his career is probably over. And I don't, don't want to say that and not have that come to fruition, but he didn't play at all last season because they were still investigating. He's missing all of this year and all of next year. So I find it extremely hard to believe that they're going to a team is going to sign him to an extension in 2024. I mean, why would you? I mean, the guy hasn't pitched in three years. But this is a foot down by Major League Baseball saying we're not going to stand for any more domestic violence um, scenarios. And you can make the case, well, there's you know there's there's screenshots of this, screenshots of that, whatever the case may be. The case is to it that MLB said they did so much investigating in Nita to the point where they must know something that the public does not know. That even if he says what they did was between the two of them and and they both agreed to whatever it was, and I don't want to get too graphic for the listeners who are listening, but they must know something that we don't because they issue away a two-year suspension that could most likely and probably will end the guy's Major League Baseball career they must also think that we don't because that's a very long punishment to give out, and that's the longest suspension Major League Baseball has ever given out. 
Yeah, uh, it, it, it is. It's 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 lengthy. Um, and I'm sure more and more will be revealed uh, in the coming days heading into this week. Uh, two other things that I want to throw in. And one is that the sons um, are fined now for not not revealing the timely uh injury report in regard to Booker. I, I was, I was out in Vegas and I was on air, um, when the report came out that Booker was going to play and yeah, that's a stupid it, thing. That's and we right. were just, that's, that's we, really I mean, we were on set. We had, we had already handicapped the game. We had already handicapped the game. And then we went to break and they're like, Oh, breaking news. Booker is, is active. And we all kind of looked around and we were like, was there, was there e- even a report that? Well, there was there that was there was a, a chance that there was a chance he was going yeah, the, to play. I saw there wasn't. Well, I saw a tweet earlier in the week saying that he's most likely going to play towards the later end of the series. Might not, probably not game six. More likely game seven, and then he plays in game six. But they're getting fined for not revealing his um, his I, I guess injury time frame, which mm-hmm. is, in my opinion, dumb. Because why would you give the Pelicans the advantage to say, well, we know he's coming back in this game, so we're, so we're going to prepare for that? No because, other league because, does that. because this is why, and, and Will, you, you just struck up a great conversation. You know why? Because people are gambling on the game. Yeah, but that's not so, anything to do with it. I, I mean, the Suns, regardless, without Devin Booker, are still the better team than the Pelicans. I understand, but there's there's also there's prop bets. There's there's um, there's point total over under. Booker is their number one score. So, um, you know, in, in regard to handicapping a game with the teams, not to take anything away from Chris Paul, but, you know, Devin Booker is averaging 35 points a game, some nights 40 points a game for the Suns. So, you know, and, and, and it's an interesting conversation and a debate to have. And I'm, it, I'm, it I'm, I'm happy, I'm happy to open up the phone lines, 800-919-3776, because this is, this is, this is a debate and a conversation and argument that we have within the industry. And that is if, if, if gambling is going to be legal, okay, teams, leagues have to be transparent and they have to hold teams accountable because people are wagering, they're gambling money. Sports books are, um, you know, their odds makers are putting these odds out because of the injury information that's being reported. And so because of that, yes, teams have to be transparent. You can't wait until two hours before uh, tip-off that your number one scorer is going to play when, you know, prior to that, reports were that he was not. But what about... Um, what about something like this? Like we see it all the time in sports too, right? Like I'll use two examples. One being Ben Simmons of the Nets, right? The Nets were sure he was going to play at some point during that series. They didn't give you a time frame. The time frame came out that he was going to play in Game Four that he ended up not playing. And then you look at the NHL with the Stanley Cup playoffs right around the corner starting tomorrow. Teams do it all the time. Last year the Tampa Bay Lightning did not tell you when Stamkos was going to come back. When he was going to come, they were just they were going to let you find out if he was playing when the puck dropped. Right? Teams do it all the time, so to get fired but, for but, doing but that's, that. I, I, no, no, no. But but that's that's a game time decision. Okay, that, that there was no game time decision that was being reported for Booker. Two hours before tip off, Woj dropped a Woj bomb saying. 
um, that that Booker was going to give it a go in warmups, and then and then if it felt good, he was going to play. Well, that's a game time decision, is it not? But, but 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 we're but it's not being. There was no talk or speculation of that until two hours before game time. But is two it, hours not like long enough for people to place a bet or for a team to re-strategize what they're going to be doing like for the game? Like, is two hours too short? Like, I think that I think that's a conversation that should be. Had. I just I I just don't know why they would get fined twenty five thousand dollars because the like betting apps couldn't do that. Like, to me, that's just really silly because they don't want to give the other team the advantage of preparing without Booker or with Booker. And I, I get it. I, I get that advantage, right? right? Like, you know, you, I get the advantage, you know, and it's not just the NBA. I mean, it's there's a reason why injury reports have to be in on Thursday in the NFL prior to a Sunday game. Injury reports, probable, um, what are the four? Uh, out, doubtful, questionable, probable, right? I think, the, so, you know, those have to be in on Thursday because of bet. I mean, for a number of reasons, but also for the betting public. And so, you know, two hours before tip off for the Suns to be like, oh, by the way, Booker's playing tonight. Um, yeah, advantage for them against their opponent. But, you know, so many people put in money and, and wagered on that game with the expectation that he was not going to play. So let's just say, let's just, let, let's just say 24 hours. If within 24 hours, the talk and speculation was uh, Booker's going to give it a go at warmups and if he feels good, he's going to play, uh, the, the line would have been adjusted in that regard. Everyone thought that Booker was out, was not going to play. So, so that's, you know, so... <laughs> People who wager, I would imagine, are listening to me and going, yeah, Anita, yeah, that's right. You know, And then people who don't wager are like, no, that's so stupid. The most important thing is having the advantage over your opponent. Like, I can see both sides. I can see both sides. 800-919-3776 is the phone number. Also, I'd say the other thing that I would throw in here in, in click or don't click is, is, of course, the update in regard to uh, Embiid. Uh, and the fact that uh, now not only is he dealing with a, a, a torn ligament in his thumb, but also now his eye socket, and uh, he's not expected to play against the Heat in their first game of the series. Um, you know, will he will he wear a mask in this series at some point in time when the doctors clear him to come in and play? He has worn a mask before. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. But this is Click or Don't Click. Gentlemen, thank you very much, uh, Will and Tom, leading the way. Uh, we come back. We'll, we'll continue with your calls right here on 98.7 ESPN.